right, everybody. Welcome back to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. Super excited for this episode. I uh, got the lads, Jordan and Ryan, on from BC Backcountry, and they probably don't even realize this, but they, I think the two main inspirations for me originally starting Mindful Hunter were, was kind of actually these guys and watching Remy Warren's Solo Hunter. Like, And there's a couple reasons for that. I liked what they were doing on Instagram. And this goes way back. Like, I think I've been following you guys probably since 2016 or something. Um, And we'll get into their background, but essentially Jordan and Ryan are BC residents who spend the vast majority of their time hunting in BC. And they're, I would say they're kind of known for both elk and mule deer and kind of their ability to be routinely successful and take high quality animals out of areas that are difficult to hunt. And so I'd say you guys are one of the most, I don't want to say most anticipated episodes. I kind of fault myself. I'm surprised I haven't asked you to come on before, but as soon as I posted that you guys were coming on, like people got legitimately excited. Like, oh, this is sick. Like kind of like the coming together of like two worlds and like BC hunting. So anyways, I'm super excited to have you guys on. And I know we're kind of like right in the middle of hunting season and it took a bit of finagling to, to get this to happen. So um, just first out of the gate, thank you very much for making the time. And I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us for sure too. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be fun. I was excited when you reached out and um, it's kind of perfect timing. We just finished the bow hunt for elk and we're literally one day away from heading out for our next uh, rifle hunt for elk. So, yeah, I mean, uh, all senses and all focuses on hunting right now. Anyways, yeah. So I leave in 10 hours for the rifle hunt. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous. I got one hunt yeah. left this year and it's going to be a late season mule deer and it's not until the last week of October. So I'm kind of like, trying to distract myself with like gear reviews and other shit. So I can like, <laughs> pretend I'm doing hey, those are always good hunting. too, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's dive into some, some histories. Cause I'm kind of curious um, what your guys backgrounds are. So maybe, maybe Jordan, we'll start with you and it, maybe it makes more sense to give them together. I don't even know, but let's just start with a little bit of a background. How did you get, how did you initially get into hunting? Um, so yeah, hunting has been part of my life since I was a kid lucky enough to have a dad growing up that was, you know, avid outdoorsman, you know, canoed, boated, kayaked, hiked, cross-country skied, hunted, did backpacking trips, had done horseback trips, had done all that stuff, less focused on any one of those individual things, but generally was doing outdoor things pretty much his whole life growing up. He grew up in the Kootenays, moved to Kamloops. Um, His background was mostly um fishing small rivers and stuff like that and that turned into kind of transitioned into upland game bird hunting which then led to duck hunting where he kind of met more and more people that were into big game hunting so when i was you know young age we did a lot of ducks a lot of grouse um, we had hunting dogs pointers and stuff that we did the, the bird hunting with um, and then i was just drawn more to big game hunting so my dad kind of set it all up and started taking me and my brother hunting um, on a regular basis as you know not as a, 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 you know, have to fill the freezer. It's just a job. You got to do the quickest thing, but more as a hobby and a, a sport and enjoyment as well as filling the freezer. Um, but yeah, then my passion for deer hunting just kind of skyrocketed right away. And so I ended up kind of pushing my dad more into deer hunting. We did less and less upland bird hunting and, and duck hunting. And then from there, we kind of, you know, I met Ryan, I think probably grade eight or nine in high school. Yeah. Um, he had killed a big deer and, I had 
had a big passion for big deer. So <laughs> <laughs> never killed a big one myself, but you know, so we became friends in high school and started, you know, talking, talking shop about um, hunting and stuff like that and got really connected on that. Um, and then, yeah, eventually we transitioned into kind of like, you know, more than just deer hunting, elk hunting and chasing sheep and goats and, and other stuff like that. So that was kind of my background and, you know, growing up in BC, it was, you know, a lot of back in the day of just, you know, truck hunting, covering ground, getting clear cuts, you know, first light, last light, a little walkabout here and there where, you know, you walk a stretch of timber between a couple cuts or you kind of hit a bench somewhere and that was close to kind of, you know, easy access. Um, and then, you know, as I got older, we kind of transformed into, you know, start the day on the feet and, and end the day on the feet and, and the truck was just to get to the, to the place you wanted to hunt kind of thing, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And how about yourself, Ryan? What's your background? Um, my background is similar to Jordan's. Um, I didn't do as much like bird hunting or grouse hunting. I was more, it was strictly fishing for the most part with my mom's boyfriend and my dad. And um, once we got a little older, I started, you know, getting into deer hunting. Well, at an earlier age, around 10, I started deer hunting and ended up taking the big buck Jordan saw when I was 12 <laughs> years old, actually. It was uh, quite a big deer. And we ended up meeting like a year after that. I showed him the pictures. We started getting into the, <laughs> oh man, we should start hunting. We should start planning these trips together. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, as we got older throughout high school, we could start to drive and we were able to go on our own little hunting trips. And yeah, we started planning trips all across BC. And one of our mutual friends actually got a, a cow tag down in the East Kootenays. Okay. And that's kind of what got us to the elk hunting. And so we went down there, didn't have much success, but you know, like, just like George said, cruising from A to B on the quad and came around a corner and saw a massive four point mule deer. I took a shot at it and missed actually. I was all bummed out and tried to catch up to him by coming around like kind of where he ran down a draw and right went around the corner into this thick, like almost moosey area, but we were in the Kootenays. It was just little Christmas trees slash like a little meadow and sure enough, big, which looking back was probably a six point elk walked out. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a bull elk. And I was like, <laughs> oh my god like, like, this is what we gotta do <laughs> yeah. like we gotta get into more of this so that was the kind of the start of the elk hunting and uh ever since then yeah we've been going hard on elk and as you can see jordan's like still pursued mule deer where i've kind of fallen off like it's just all or elk or elk or nothing for me at this point but that was a that was a big transition point for us when we were like really keen on deer we're doing alpine deer hunts we're doing mm-hmm. backpack deer hunts we're doing rock deer hunts and then ryan comes back I had a sheep draw that year. So I was chasing sheep and Ryan comes back and he just says, Jordan, like, man, elk's where it's at, man. Like, <laughs> I missed this like 28 inch massive four point. He's like, going to come around the corner and he just remember him explaining to it. He's just like so pumped, right? Yeah. Big horns and just crossing the road in front of him. You know, when you're not an elk hunter and you see something like that walking in front of you, and it's just like, you know, you can't even count points. You don't even know what, yeah. what you're allowed to shoot or not. And you're just like, you know, your brain's spinning. You're a young, young hunter, just like experiencing a, you know, once in a lifetime kind of experience. Right. So that was just like opening up, opening up the regs, looking what's open, where it's open, when the season is, didn't know anything about the rut, didn't know anything about elk. It was just like, okay, let's go here. Let's, let's do this and make, uh, make, uh, you know, an annual trip about it kind of thing. So, and, and, and give me some chronology here. What year would that have been? And, and how old, like, how old were you guys been then? And how old are you guys now? So how long has that been kind of going on? Yeah. So I think we're, we're just, I think it's 06, 05, 06. So yeah. we would have graduated in 04, 05. Yeah. yeah so we were around 17, 18, 19. Yeah. Uh, 
and he would have went so on like his a first good 15 years yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. Though, and like yeah the, the first years were hard right like it was Man. you know taking meal your strategies and what you knew about elk hunting that you learned from you know, I think we were primos, primos, yeah, primos, yeah. Videos. primos videos, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we would buy, we would buy a call and it'd have like a disc or whatever DVD player disc, and yeah. we'd watch the video over and over, and Practice, you know, yeah. start started by practicing calls, and you know, in these videos, it's just like there's six guys calling on some ranch somewhere, yeah, where, you know, <laughs> elk comes elk running everywhere, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's you know, hundred callers behind the guy, cow calls, yeah. bull calls, this and that, and the guys you know got a bow and he's five yards away and. You know, you learn through that and quickly in the forest, you kind of realize that wasn't really the way to kill an elk necessarily in BC by having yeah. Yeah. 16 calls going nonstop and, you know, pushing elk out of the country. But, um, you know, that evolved to us learning that like, holy crap, we've got to learn how to count points. So we'd be watching videos just like quickly identifying a five and a six and getting quick at like counting brows, the third the sword and looking for the whale tail kind of thing. So we did do a lot of research off that and that's what was available back in those days right that was like pre social there was media nothing ever. man if you look at what's available now between like elk 101 and the stuff that you know dan puts out and like there is it's almost too much but there, there's yeah. almost an infinite yeah. amount of, of yeah. hunting and especially elk elk hunting has got to be the single most popular form of hunting for like sure. If you go to like hours uploaded on YouTube, I, I Elk's got to take number one. Like I, and I think it's just because it's so exciting. Like a it's lot exciting. of other hunts, like, and I film my own hunts yeah. and sometimes it's like, there's not a whole lot going on. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to make this exciting. Like I'm just sitting here glassing. Elk hunting's not like that. There's always action. There's always shit going on. And I think that's part of the bug. Like I, I love my glassing hunts. Just came home from a sheep hunt, love hunting alpine mule deer one of my favorite hunts in the world is coos deer hunting down in arizona like but but the, there is nothing like that elk in the rut like the adrenaline rush and like getting a bugle back like that's the yeah. other thing that you can't really compare that that talking component that interacting where like i yell at you you're yelling back at me like there's just nothing else there's nothing else like that no no for sure adrenaline pumps and your heart just gets going and you're just you know, just kind of this cascading butterfly effect after that, right? Of like, does it go quiet? Do you close the gap? Does, you know, just takes you on a wild, wild trip after that, right? So it's, and and it's kind of like becomes that precursor to like the big main event, right? Just getting yeah. a bugle back. It's like, oh, that's a thing, right? And you can say that about other hunting where you spot something that's really important, but, you know, it doesn't always necessarily lead to a legal animal or, or a possible kill that you can actually make. And but bugles normally it's like this is a really high probability situation this is like the main event it's like you know you get that going and and you know your your, your whole hunt could be made from that one bugle you get back right well and getting a bugle back was almost an event in itself like it was yeah. i got a bugle back years before i finally actually killed my first elk and that almost felt like a milestone in itself like yeah. oh holy shit you know, I made a sound and then it decided to make a sound back. And it's like, that's a very exciting thing. The first time that happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a pretty, pretty crazy experience. I mean, just even like that, you know, hours spent and amount of bugles you've projected into a mountainside, into a valley, into a slide and like got nothing back. And then all of a sudden you get one. Right. And then next time you get a couple and it's like, yeah. I remember when you first went out, Ryan was, you know, Ryan was way better at calling than me. He could, produce a really good bugle and he wasn't even half as good as he is now but like he would get bugles back very infrequently you know okay. 
one in like four or five days and you're out there for two weeks and so you made tough area though, really for sure yeah low population area like low not, population goals but. Yeah. and and back then yeah you know i would hike on my own and we'd be looking for elk so we split up and you know i would put so many calls in that forest and i was using a power bugle didn't like the the primos calls i couldn't make them work very well i couldn't make a mouth read work um and ryan had those things kind of dialed and you know I was probably my second or third year bugling before I got my first call back. And then it right. starts to build off that, right? It's like everyone experience. I did that right. And also you can kind of replicate that more and more until it turns into a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things I'd like to dig into, I don't think most people understand the density of the vegetation in BC, particularly where you boys are. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I still don't think there's any videos, like nobody's putting out material on how to hunt country like that so how were you able to take the like the limited access to information that you had and what kind of a learning curve was that when you're like oh shit like we are not on a um, parkland montana ranch like we're <laughs> in the fucking gnar like no, you know su su super good question super relevant for anybody hunting bc like there's actually not a lot of elk country in bc that isn't you know, mixed with some really dense forest and yeah. dense shady, shady slides. Yeah. And even, you know, and, and like hand, yeah. some of that content that's around, like it'll preach, you know, look for this open stuff, look for this and, and catch them on this stuff. And it's like, elk and BC don't even need to hit that stuff. Like no. they really don't have to hit it. Like elk can live in the timber. And I was on a bull in, in the bow season that literally was feeding for 45 minutes while I, you know, proceeded to try and get him if in draw range and get him, get a clean shot of his vitals. I never end up pulling the trigger on him, but he was just eating in a thick forest, but there's just so much rain and, and the canopy allowed enough sunlight in that there's food across that valley ball or across that kind of slope, even though it's fully treed. Right. But, yeah. but yeah, you don't have to, not every bull, not every cow is going to end up in a big open slide or on a nice open grassy knob or, 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 you know, shooter or cut or something like that. Like some of those elk can live for weeks in the timber without ever showing any bit of hide or tie or something like that right half the problem with a lot of those big bulls we encounter is they pull you into that they might be in that nice spot but then they take control of the calling and they'll literally pull us into that thick brush where it's like we're now on a point where it's like if we get a shot at this thing it's maybe eight yards away from us right? yeah it's those smart bulls will pull you right across all those spots where they don't feel comfortable and they'll bring you like right into their bed essentially to just say like if you want to come at me you come at me but I'm going to see you from five yards away from me by the time you bust through that willow or that thicket. Or yeah, I think that's probably where like a lot of the content isn't super relative. I mean, we do we, we do setups, like we do setups, we try setups yeah. and the odd one works, but a mm -hmm. lot of like setups, the bull just moves off. And so we tend to like put a lot of pressure on the bull. Um, we try to do a setup if we see a setup that's possible. Oh, there's a trail. Oh, there's an opening. Oh, there's this. We'll try to do setup, but it's rare that the bull just decides that I do what you're thinking. I'm coming right into the setup yeah. just the way they they want me to, right? A lot of the time, terrain kind of trumps the setup. It's like if it's steep, elk aren't coming down to you very easy. You're yeah. pushing into them the whole time. So the wind may be down in the morning or in the evening, and you're coming up from below, and you're thinking this bull, you know, traditionally an elk's gonna want to circle you and get the wind, but an elk, from our experience, they just keep going. They will take steep over wind every time. So they won't sacrifice the high ground to go get your wind. They are going to stay above you. They'd rather wait to see you so they can hear you. You're an elk. They just want to see that you're an elk. And so you're going to push them. And we normally just try to get to that point where it's super close and 
the next 10 yards of willows is going to be us and the elk. And then we're like shooter caller and caller tries to drop back five, 10, 15 yards, just enough to try and bull give this goal enough bull enough to come in. But a lot of times you pull back that five, 10 yards with the shooter just in front of you. And that's enough for the bull just to walk 50 yards higher up the mountain. Right. And then you just reset and you push in tight again and you cover hundred yards and all of a sudden you're back screaming head to head and you just try to do that setup again. And the way I kind of look at it now is you basically you're going to push a bull until he finally gets so pissed off. He will charge in to, you know, 10 yards away and give you a shot or you push a bull into open country. There's a little avalanche slide. There's a little meadow. There's a little shooting lane here and you'll push that bull or a bull makes a mistake, crosses a gully and pops up the other side and you get a, a clear yeah, shot sure. at them going through. Right. So almost like you're trying to just challenge that bull to come in, which is, you know, kind of the traditional setup thing. And so we keep trying to do that setup and resetting and resetting as we keep closing the gap and getting intense. And then the bull kind of steps away and backs off again until you either push that bull into an opening or until it tries to cross a gully or, you know, ends up in a little meadow or the side of an avalanche shoot where there's a shooting a lane shooting and you can see six points and you can make it all happen. Right. I have always wondered if the lower density population in British Columbia actually affects elk behavior because I've been in high elk population states and I've had different experiences and I've had the exact experiences you got like very call and not even, I, I don't want to say call shy because they will call, but they yeah. won't engage. They, like you can't get them to come into you. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I've been in other places and I almost feel like, especially with higher like bull to cow ratios and more satellite bulls, there's there they feel the need to be more aggressive because they're worried about somebody taking their cows. Where I feel like possibly, and maybe this is just a theory I've got because the lower elk densities in British Columbia, they're more like they play a more defensive game as a poor as opposed to like a more offensive game, like you would get in a in an area with a higher elk population. I, I think yeah. that's fairly accurate. We For we've sure. hunted low population and, and not quite as low population, if you want to put it that way in BC, <laughs> right? Right, right. We're not from Colorado or Montana here where there's yeah. twice as many elk in the area at a quarter of the size, right? So yeah. Um definitely we can see that even on like places we've hunted, you know, three or four different locations in BC. Um, and the places that are low population, elk are way more defensive. Like the, the lowest population areas, they're very defensive. They have cows, they really don't want to muck around, right? Yeah. And so yeah. those ones are a little more challenging. And in areas like that, it's been kind of more of a persistence thing where you work this herd day in, day out until, you know, you make a mistake or a satellite bull comes in that is very aggressive with the satellite bull trying to get into the cows. And then that ends up being your six point that you get. Um, but yeah, those those lower population areas, it's, it's, it's more about just persistence and, and working it over and over until that one, you know, you catch the bull in a, bad spot and he has no choice but to challenge you or you, you close the gap close enough but those are those are, are low odd plays for sure right and how difficult or challenging do you guys find a six point lim limit like how often is it you play 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 and you finally get a shot and it's like eh, only five or, or how much does that play into you know we, the actual a lot yeah we, we yeah. probably yeah. twice as many bulls dead for sure if it was you know any bull or five point even right like yeah generally there's a lot of satellite five points there's a lot of even mature five points that are running around without the sixth right and and yeah. you know you you make a play maybe two or three times on that bull and you finally get a look at it and it's a five point you're like there there goes a morning hunt an evening hunt another morning hunt and it was on a five point right and typically 
you get a look at that five point because it is a five point, right? Like <laughs> he comes like those yeah. ones that are like perfect. It's like, oh, he's coming right in. And it's like, yeah. oh, but it's a five point. Yeah. yeah. Like, unfortunately, we're in six point season. So yeah, yeah that's I, I I've always been interested in that conversation. And we don't got to kind of deep dive into regs now, but I I've always, you know, it's a bit of a thought experiment, always wondered if we, you know, just because all the other places I hunt tend to manage elk differently and they tend to manage elk. Yeah very successfully that way. And I'm all about responsible management and I, I, I want mature animals running around and I, I'm even willing to sacrifice some opportunity in order to kind of facilitate that. But that's been another, that's always, you know, for instance, like I like to go up into um, 750 when I can, cause they've also got that, that first three weeks where you can catch a three point. And, and that yeah, kind of takes yeah. a bit of a pressure off as well. Cause it's like, I'm not looking to kill a three point, but it's like kind of more that, that kind of, semi-mature five point as long as i see a good elk i know i'm going to be able to take the shot and that you know that that's it opens that's, up more opportunity that's, that's yeah. how that's our approach in bow like and that's literally our right. approach in bow yeah. we don't go to bow trying to do spike 2.3 point setups yes we'll take one if it sets itself up and you're not going to say no to meat when there's you know there's obviously a bigger camp around us these days and and there's yeah. you know eggs to go around so you know meat and freezer counts for a lot of our hunt especially with elk um but I mean, our approach is still the same. We still hunt as if we're looking for mature bull. Yep. That's the way we move. That's the way we call. That's the way we grind. It's we're looking for a mature bull. But the beauty is when a five point comes in with the bow, that is a legal bull. And you don't need to look and count. You just see a good rack coming in and it's just look for a shot. Don't even look at the horns, right? You're trying to, <laughs> you're trying to keep your composure and make yeah. it happen. Right? <laughs> also, times you're even a chance to see the horns too in that thick stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you literally see a couple of points. You're like, oh. Yeah. And, and I don't, that's the other thing that's, that's kind of frustrating about that six point limitation. Like if we were in a more open country area, I would almost have less issue with it because you could really ascertain, you know, the, the amount of points from a further distance and still have somewhat of an opportunity. But but props to you guys too, because it's like, that is an extremely difficult thing to do that close with that much adrenaline pumping and like do it in a responsible way. And I'm sure there's been some six points that got away because you had to take an extra second to make sure the point was there. And that was the extra second you didn't have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'd say there's something to be said um, just for, I don't know what you want to call it, just kind of those few seconds leading up to pulling the trigger, like just kind of a killer instinct where you are just using every second available to your advantage. Um, and, you know, happened to us, you know, on, on our first bowl together and it was our, our second bowl our camping got um, and our first time bugling in a six point basically, but, you know, bowls visible to Ryan can't count six points and he's gone up on it and I can't see horns. And we're literally standing two feet, apart. two to three feet apart. And this bull charges in at, you know, 10 yards from us and we just cannot see things. and as the bull steps out, all of a sudden I'm gun up and Ryan all of a sudden has already dropped his gun because he has no shot anymore, but he can clearly see six points and he's just like six points shoot. Right. Yeah. But just like, that's where the two people definitely helps. Um, but just even other experiences where, you know, if you know bulls in the area, it's like you're taking off scope caps, you're, you're priming your gun, you're, you're right. taking every intermittent second between like the bull closing the gap and you making final calls and you've got, you know, your bugle in front of you, your guns laid out and like, I've killed a bull like that. My biggest bull was, was a bull that never bugled once. And um, I closed the gap only because my brother pushed on Google Earth and said, you know, we, where we spotted this bull is like, it's just a little grassy knob. It's only 20 yards above us, but we're standing in an alder that's way overhead, screaming, you know, right before dusk and there's no bugle, bulls bugling. But I, we closed that last little gap just to get to that point where, you know, this is right where we saw that bull. 
um, this morning. And sure enough, we get out in the open. There's a cow staring at us that's been obviously hearing our bugles and is very interested in heat, very like estrus, like ready to go. And I just scream at the cow. And as I'm doing that, I'm pulling my gun off my shoulder. I put it on the ground and nothing happens, but the cow's still interested. I scream again. And as that's happening, I'm, I'm like literally, you know, jacking a shell into my gun slowly. And then I just, not even a bugle, but I hear this grunt in the forest. And it's just like, you obviously it's a bull. And you're just like, just kind of lets one of those out. Yeah. And then I kind of hear branches breaking at that point, like scope or my, um, my uh, vinyl harness is open. I've got binoculars hanging off my head. I've got my, you know, literally gun sitting there loaded, scope caps off. And so this bull pops out just across the slide, like 80 yards from us. And it's just like, comes out and of course I can see five point on the one side and then behind the sword point on the other side I can just I can tell there's something there but I don't know if it's a fork or not and the fact was my brother's right there with me but doesn't hunt elk as much as I do and like it was kind of a second elk hunt so he didn't know what to look for and wasn't comfortable making a call but he comes out grabs his cow and then as he turns to walk back into the timber I see that six point it was just like it was you know you're grabbing the gun you're up and your trigger on and away you go right and it's like if I was still jacking shells in that bull's gone He's not bugling. He's not coming back out dark in 15 minutes. Right. And it's like, if you weren't taking those few little steps of like yeah. queuing up, getting ready for that final moment, it's just like, it's just a story at the end of the day. Right. Like, Oh, we had this cool encounter. We think it was a six pointer. We saw a six point, but it's too late to get a shot off. Right. But mm-hmm. you know, I shot him two yards from the timber basically last couple steps before he disappeared. Right. So for this type of hunting, what scopes do you guys tend to use? I'm more concerned about the actual like magnification range. And then what magnification would you usually have it on when you're in like one of these timber hunting situations? So, so I use the wrong scope for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a bit of a believer in, in some of like the, you know, just carrying gear that will, you know, offer opportunities, you know, over the years and the miles that you put on, it's nice to have gear with you that can make opportunities happen. So I do some long range shooting. I do home loading. And so I've got a, I've got a, um, uh, five and a half to, um, 20, I think or 22. Um, and so I have that thing dialed on five and a half. I don't dial it up unless I'm trying to get a count on points or I am doing a longer range shot, yep. but it's like, yeah, it's, it's five and a half. You don't, I would prefer to have three at that point. Right. Yeah. But I actually used to have a two and a half to 10 and I've traded in since for a four by 16, but I almost wish I had that two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I built a blacktail gun. It was uh, uh, just a Tika 308. And that's exactly what I put on it with a two and a half to 10. Yeah. Because yeah. where I'm hunting blacktail is like extremely, not quite as dense in vegetation, but you're still like sub 50, sub 75. I've never yeah. killed a blacktail over 100 yards away. I've probably never killed one over 70 yards away. Yeah. Um, so it was the I same deal. I was looking for maximum field of view. And for that particular situation yeah i think the two and a half to three it's okay. the way to go right it's it's the way to go if i had my choice that's probably what i should be using but i you just you know what elk country's like and it's like how wild. often could an elk step out on a slide at 400 we still meters have, we still have like 350 yard shots like we yeah. still don't so well have those long long range shots or longer range shots and you do like that extra magnification for sure I, i'd say I've, I've, I've killed one bull with my gun using more than five and a half and that was i think for two years ago and yeah. that was at like 280 meters um and it was super super nice to have um ryan's killed a, a, a goat and one bull around 300 um every other deer that i've killed recently and every other elk killed recently is on the lowest power setting don't touch it i'm just up i already know what it is and i'm pulling the trigger right yeah very similar very similar experience for myself i want to take a bit of a left turn because i think the conversation about mature animals 
begs a little bit more discussion. And then we're going to get back to the elk thing because something's happened recently this sheep season that's a little disconcerting. So recently there were seven right. immature rams and not even necessarily some were confiscated because of lack of meat. Some were confiscated because debates Under. regarding full curl. Some were clearly immature. I don't think it's solely an issue of, of hunter error. I do think there are some gray areas in our regulations that could probably use some work around some of the some of the wording. Nathan French has put out some really interesting stuff lately that I think. Oh, like, yeah, I've been following all his all his posts right there. there. Yeah, and some people give him some heat, and I'm right. like, I had a really interesting podcast with Clay Lancaster, and he's the same way. He's like, the way they're written, it. it, it, it it's just like they just don't have to be written that way. Like you could still yeah. achieve the same goal and, and give more clarity. But two yeah. questions for you guys. One, what are your thoughts on just, you know, that general issue? And it's clear because I see the animals you guys take down it and you're on social media. So this whole I'm pressured because I'm on social media, I think is kind of bullshit. And I'll give my own two cents on that afterwards. But what do you guys think about the general issue? And how do we talk to these guys who are coming up who feel like I got to kill something? because there's a pressure on me to kill something. So I'm maybe killing shit I shouldn't kill. Mm -hmm. I think there is, I, I, I will admit, there's a lot of pressure on you, but if you are to make a mistake, you're going to way regret it way more than doing something that you, know, you shouldn't yeah. have done. Like at the end of the day, that's the biggest thing to always keep in mind. There's been a lot of times where I've been with Jordan and been by myself and there probably was a six point on out or very close. Yeah. Yeah. But I let, let it walk and felt way better knowing that I let it walk rather than pulling the trigger and walking up to it, you know, a five point being like, oh. So what's that I, conversation I, I, like with yourself when you're in that situation? Because obviously that kind of lust kicks in and you're like, I want to take that. Yeah, what does yeah. that conversation sound like that results in you making the right call? It's hard to pinpoint an exact one. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. it's more just yeah. like, you know yeah. what? I know at the end of the day, I'm making the right call if I can't guarantee it's the right call. So like I can sleep at night with that by myself and I'm okay with that. I'm okay to potentially let a six point walk away and yeah, not have to have that guilt of shooting you know, an illegal animal. So I think that comes with also feeling like you don't, I know I'm finally at the point in my hunting career and this has only happened in the last couple of years where I don't feel like I have to prove myself anymore. Yeah. I, I think that's a huge part, right? That's yeah. a huge part. I think yeah. what we're, you know, a lot of that, what, where that could fall is in that, Earlier years hunting or new yeah. animal hunted and or time, you're trying to time spent your, and you know I, I watch guys that can play sports that just like you know I spent too much money to be crappy at the sport I you know I spent too much time to not be better at this right and it's like in hunting yeah. you just you cannot have that approach where you yeah. know spent so much time you just got to be better right it's like it's it but I find it comes with appreciation right you 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 stop caring about the kills so so much and you start just like one your expectations are way more level set right mm -hmm. yeah. go hunt in bc for 10 years and your expectations are going to be very realistic and you still get excited you still have dreams and of grandeur that we're going to kill this we're going to get that we're going to load up we're going to see the big one it's like but you know when you hit the dirt you know let's be realistic this that's not what's going to happen necessarily right and it's mm -hmm. and so your expectations are a lot more level and realistic um but for those new hunters expectations become built a lot off of you know social media for sure so there's a lot of that pressure there's a lot of that excitement there's a lot of that kind of heroism and stuff like that but I, that's very much an experience right i mean i don't think people get that when they've hunted for five or ten years right i don't think that mentality comes out very much anymore right it's it's you know what you're there to do you know what you're you're likely coming home empty-handed but if not it's great right mm -hmm. yeah 
I think too, one of the big realizations I have is because I like to make hunt films and I like to share my stories. And I know that a hunt film with a dead animal and an Instagram picture with the rack gets way more engagement than without. But I also had this realization because I went and did a couple like real ball buster hunts and like came home empty handed. And it's like, people were super into them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so like, I realized as long as I go on a hunt that's really challenging for me yeah. and I capture that story, yeah. I, I've kind of given up. I'm agnostic of the, I'm, I'm not agnostic of the outcome. I want to kill something. Like that's why I get up in the morning on a hunt 100%. But I also feel very com- comfortable and confident these days that if I bring back a story about challenge and struggle, even if it, I failed at the end, like I almost get more respect for like I just posted my sheep hunt and I guarantee that was my first legitimate sheep hunt. And I guarantee, yeah. and I didn't kill a sheep. And I guarantee if I did kill a sheep, I would have taken a bit of flack because like, Oh, it's your first year. You were lucky, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah. Like even on hunting BC, which is known as like, not the like nicest forum in the world. Like every single dude was like respectful and like you busted yeah. your ass. It'll happen. You just got to keep grinding. And yeah. it was like, all I did was tell the story of a struggle. And it's like, I guess that's the kind of thing I'm trying to impart to like some of the people who haven't been hunting for as long. Like just tell the story of what actually happens out there. That's enough for people. You don't have to like embellish it or take a shot you shouldn't take because that's the other thing. And it's not an immature animal, but taking shots with like low likelihood, like once you put a bullet in an animal and you can't find it and that terrible because that's the other thing that experience brings that really makes you think, take Take a beat before pulling the trigger because that's one of the most horrible feelings I've ever had. And luckily I've always, I've never not recovered an animal, but there have been hours where I thought I wasn't going to recover an animal. And that's the other situation where I think a newer hunter, they're shaking, there's the animal and they just, you know, punch the trigger. And it's like, I think the longer we do this, the less likely we are to do that. It's like nowadays, if I don't have like a, a really good shot, then I'm like, I'm not taking a shot. Cause I'm like, I don't want to feel that feeling because it's terrible. No, for sure. I, I, it's, uh, so that's just, again, it takes one experience of almost not or not recovering. And, you know, that starts to ring in your brain, right? It's in the back of your head about taking, you know, offhand, crappy angle, you know, yeah. low watch shots, mm-hmm. like you say, like, and, and I've, I've had a, a buck that, you know, should have been dead in its bed and literally just had a frangible bullet. It was a burger bullet up close, hit a shoulder blade, um, or actually shoulder bone. It's actually just the leg, sorry, leg bone and exploded. It was like a bucket of chips uh, afterwards. And so I thought this is a dead deer, went up to go, you know, gave it 20 minutes, went up to go find it and it was bouncing off. And six, six hours tracking a deer from the snow line into the mud, into, you know, deer country where there's very little trails and you don't even know if you're on a, on a fresh track or not and ended up killing that deer in its bed you know, probably almost a kilometer and a half later and, and one journey like that. And every elk we've shot. <laughs> and now I walk in thinking we're not going to get this elk. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel, I felt great in the shot. Everything's great. But like I walk in there, not like storming through the bush. Where is it? Where is it? I walk in there. Okay. Where, what, what side should we come in from? Where could, where did, where yeah. could you go? Yeah. What's going to give him an angle to, to escape if he is only wounded. And then, you know, you spend two hours hiking on an elk that's dead 40 yards from your shot. Yeah. yeah. Right. But, but we've had that opportunity now where it's like you walk in and they're dead every time, but it's like, you always go in with that mindset, but that mindset's there when you're pulling the trigger that like, you don't pull till it feels right. You don't pull yeah. till, till everything's lining up and clicking together. Um, I mean, it's, it's easy to say that too, behind a, you know, a webcam and a keyboard too, right. There's obviously those, those times where this is the shot you're going to get. And, and, 
you can't always wait. Thick bush, chasing a big meal there, right? The shots are quick. They're fast. You second guess yourself afterwards. But I think, you know, the amount of times you pull the trigger starts to build up and, and your, your and brain, your mind will tell you yeah. when not yeah. to shoot, right? 100%. Okay, so I want to take talk a little bit about strategy. One of my breakthrough moments for me, and this is more like backpack uh, elk hunting in in more like the states. But the one of the big unlocks for me was when I when I discovered bivy hunting because I used to like go in deep, lock myself into an area for ten days. If there were elk there, maybe I'd have some action. If there weren't elk there, it didn't matter. It was just like I had decided that was the area where I was going to hunt, so I hunted there. And then when I discovered bivy hunting, that changed the game for me. Because then I realized I only go in for three or four days at a time. If there's no elk there, I go to the truck, I drive up the road, I go in a different yeah. spot. And if there is elk there, I just go back to the truck, I get more food, and I come back in. But I know that's not the way you guys hunt. And I would be, and I like, and, and rightfully so, given the terrain where you're hunting, and I don't have a lot of experience in that terrain. What was the kind of progression that you guys went through until you found like the system that like actually <laughs> kind of started to produce for you yeah well no, we, we it's, don't a really, it's a really good question right so we, we've gone both both ways and we've kind of found this happy medium now right yeah. so so it's a really good question for sure um but yeah i mean we well well first of all we don't have the system yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, okay. Well, yeah, well, sometimes okay. we think we do and we're like maybe we yeah. should revert back to that other system which right, is, right 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 you can describe the kind of two the, the, the system is question everything every time and <laughs> and always assess what's happening and why it's happening and try to figure it out. I mean, if you're not a, if you're a hunter and a fisherman, that's how you think, right? You're like, you know, why are the elk doing this? Why are the elk not there? Why are the elk there? Right. And you're always mm -hmm. questioning what that is. But I mean, a good example is our first setup was like, we're not bringing trailers, we're not bringing campers, we're tenting it and this is the way to do it. And so we tented up in, you know, elk country at 5,000 feet and we we're on a road, like there's lots of access, we're driving quads, but you know, we're getting up in a tent and it's minus five there's been hail and rain and shit all night yep um and we hunted probably almost harder back then for sure but you know you were kind of you weren't hunting as smart and you were just grinding for the sake of the pain and you didn't know how unlikely it was that you're going to kill something so you went out every morning thinking i'm going to just stumble across an elk right now and kill it and that's going to be awesome i just got to hike a little further i just got to push a little harder i just got to get up a little earlier i just got to call a little more and then you realize like you know go to two or three years of that and realize like start understanding that like your chances of waking up and killing elk today are five percent right so you, you'll do this for three or four years hunting 10 days a year before you <laughs> you get an elk doing yeah. that right so you do start to get smarter but you know we we went from a low population area with you know good sized elk and definitely elk always there and you know we killed an elk the first year killed an elk the third year didn't kill anything the fourth and fifth year mm -hmm. um and then we just we were sick of hearing other people's bugles and not knowing if it was an elk or not. And it was a tight valley. You know, we had lots of little across the valley. Like if you're up a draw, you can hear them literally across the valley. And you're like, oh no, I can hear the quad now ripping up the road to yeah, and for his next bugle. That was clearly not an elk. And almost worth mentioning just in BC is acoustics. And yeah. okay. honestly, like hunting those open parkland meadows in, in Montana or Colorado, like acoustics are so complicated in, in BC where you get on one fold and you can't hear that elk. You get on the next fold, you can hear them clear as day. You get on a valley in cold, calm weather and you can hear an elk six kilometers away bugling. And you get on a, on a hotter day with, with you know, thermals moving and wind yeah. swirling and a bit of ambient noise in, in nature. And you can't hear an elk 400 yards away. And so, you know, we are in a valley where it's like, you could hear an elk bugle and it could either be, 
you know, 800 meters up the mountain from you, or it's across the valley on a, on a main logging road where there's hunters hunting right now, right? And, and so, you still can't pinpoint it. But and right. you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Just the way those echo around, you cannot pinpoint it in, in a lot of times, right? And and we should always talk about that later, just about, you know, closing the gap and you lo lose a bugle or can't hear a bugle or you don't know where it is, right? There's, there's a lot of strategy around just, you know, where is this elk coming from? Where do we need to go to get a call? Because we lose and, and gain elk and just out of acoustics, right? Just yeah. not hearing that bull. And where Before you make is. your play, like we'll make a, not a deal, but when we, this year's bow hunt, we had one elk bugle from a very faint bugle. And I was like, I think it's over here. And George thinks, I think it's over here. It's like, yeah. Yeah. why don't we like, before we spend four hours through treacherous shit to get to where we thought he was, yeah. let's get two or three more and like really pinpoint in like, okay, no, like we think he's here because we've definitely lost off that way. And we've definitely walked the opposite direction and everyone got a bugle before thinking of it. Yeah. And, and you don't even know if you misplaced that bull and you're calling to nothing, or you don't know if that bull went quiet because you didn't give a shit and you just moved on. Right. And yeah. so that, that acoustics part is, is, is really important. Right. But anyways, well, can we can circle back to that for sure. Um, we did that, that, that valley hunting there with road access, hunting up tents. We did eventually evolve to campers and, and <laughs> nicer setups, more comfortable and started hunting a little bit smarter, right? Not just beating the shit over bodies for nothing, but, you know, focusing our hikes and our efforts, but we didn't like calling and hearing other elk hunters. We didn't like, you know, calling to the same elk everyone else was calling to potentially some years and, and pushing the same herd that other people were trying to get a, get on top of. So we went and looked for a place with bigger country and less hunters and around the same amount of elk. What we found was the elk were way more spaced out. And so the elk were nowhere in this area and then they were just right up here. And then there was not, no elk for another three or four canyons or basins. And then there was elk over here. Um, and so we hunted thinking, you know, this is what we're going to excel at. We're going to be able to tell when an elk's an elk, but we ended up finding is like you were covering a lot of ground and finding very little elk. Um, and so I think the, the big elk that we ended up finding were in goat country, essentially. So we switched gears and we're like, we got to go backpack hunting. That's the way to kill these elk. And, you know, it was good size elk, we figured, because, you know, you could see six kilometers away, you could see tines scratching its, its middle of its back, right? So we're like, that's the big boys, let's go do that. And so, you know, we did some backpack hunting that way. We killed the bull the very first year doing it. Ryan got his bull that way. Mm -hmm. A lot of fun. And, you know, we chased that bull with bow actually first and, and almost got it with the bow. And then again, two or three days later, we killed it with rifle in the same basin. We hunted that same basin two more years, never saw another bull six point. Yeah. Didn't even and see another bull the last year. I, I think the last year we just saw no bulls yeah. and it was just like, okay. All our like, eggs are in one basket essentially at this point. Yeah. Cause like to hike to the next basin is pretty much unhikeable in terms of. Yeah. So I would, I would put, so the, the two drawbacks were one, the elk might not be there. Yeah. And two, the elk that are there, maybe there's no legal bull. Um, but then you're also dealing with, you know, wind, rain, snow, and we, you know, three days in, in the high country can be six hours of hunting. Yeah. Right. So, so all your eggs, all your time is in there and, and you get six hours of hunting. So if we do stuff like that now, it's with a purpose for one area and you pull right back out if there's, if there's no, nothing happening there. No so, elk. There might be out there, but if there's nothing bugling, if you're not seeing them, there's a good chance you're not killing them. Yeah, for sure. So, so our sweet spot now, like you say, the way we now hunt is we cover way more ground. We're very aggressive and eyes are always glassing and you're always bugling. And so you're just trying to locate active elk and then you're trying to get on them as quick as possible. So that same day or that next morning or that next evening, um, and we kill a lot of elk that we spotted. So a lot of our elk come from, we've spotted that elk. 
we're there the next morning, we're there that evening, and sure enough, a bull lights up and it's game on, right? And, and we've had a lot of elk that we didn't kill in the same circumstances where we got on them and you know never got a shot, never got it in, but active elk are active elk. So if you get a bugle, you gotta chase it. If you see something out in the open, it's normally a really good sign. I mean, sometimes it doesn't pan out. We've chased, we chased elk up some pretty dry popcorn part valleys where there's no food and that elk must have just been cruising, right? And, oh. and you're like, that's where they are, you know, and you hike super high, you put two or 3,000 feet on and you cover this ground thinking we're gonna get on elk and you realize, you know, that bull was in the rut. He was moving, he was, he was covering ground elk. and that was just- yeah. And it's crazy how far they, like I've seen some shit, like you see the elk here and you're like, yeah, I'll start walking towards them and you get halfway there and then, holy shit, man, like three basins over and you're just like, it's only been an hour. Like how well, that was, awesome. <laughs> It was pretty funny. We uh, we had a, a long hunt, one of those hunts where we couldn't kill a bull. Um, we came out, was it still bow season? Middle of the day, trailer on the oh, back yeah, of the truck. We're leaving bow season. We're leaving bow season. We're in khaki pants and, yeah. <laughs> and t-shirts and shit like that. And yeah. we literally on the lowest road in the valley across from us. never think you'd see elk either. Yeah, a place that we wouldn't even really hunt. Yeah. Um, there's a six-point bull elk standing there. Yeah. I come around the corner in the second vehicle, and the, the doors of the cargo trailer are open. blowing everything open. <laughs> like, getting spawning scopes out, getting gear out. Like, <laughs> and Brian's, like, bugling, and this bull's bugling in broad daylight, right, oh, like, from the truck. Yeah. From the truck, 500 yards away. And it's just so funny. So we, me and Ryan went in on it, and... You know, there's no point in sending five guys in on one bull. So yeah. everyone else stayed back in the trucks. We hopped on the quad, closed the gap, got around, tried to do a nice setup. And setup didn't play out, but he bugled a couple of times. We got some action. And so the bull's moving across the hillside. So it's like time to close, close the gap. Yeah. So me and Ryan are just like, we see him and we're like, we're going to close it here as he's trucking up. Yeah. We went full crazy and just were like pushing bush, trying to chase his bull, close the gap, get him to turn around and, and, and challenge us. So we probably got... 150 meters. Well, we got no, we got right on top of where he was originally sat, and we could smell where he was pissing and bugling. For sure, we for sure. Yeah. yeah, and then we pushed up. Like, but but when yeah. we didn't get that bull going up in close where we like knew where he was, we like pushed after the direction he was headed, and yeah. we got like 150 yards up that slope. No calls, nothing back, and we kind of like you know I think our our, our our game's up right now. We got bows, right? So I mean this this jig is up, yeah. and we got back the trucks, and they were like everyone was watching. They're just like, howling. They're telling like like yeah, you guys want to that far? This elk <laughs> and a half kilometers around the cut into yeah. the next valley, and yeah. then we lost sight of it, and we're yeah. like and we're like and we were climbing over logs and <laughs> yeah. doing all this and that, right? And they just cover ground, right? So uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and I think it's important to talk about the weather and and how that can be like an, an issue and that was a big take that was a big learning for me because and that's the other like a bc centric issue like september can be terrible yeah and, on both spectrums it can be super hot or it can be super cold and rainy yeah 100 percent. and yeah, like yeah, going that backpack style and having limited having no way to dry your gear do you know what i mean yeah. like that can really limit your ability to to hunt and like i remember first going elk hunting in bc and there's like all these guys in wall tents i'm like what are these pussies doing do you know what i mean like they're all stuck near roads and they've got like firewood <laughs> stacked up and i'm like walking past their camp like i'm going back in you know what i mean yeah and then like i'm coming about a week later just beat to shit you know what i mean and they're all sitting in the camp drinking beers by the fireplace and it's like after a couple seasons that like i get it man i totally yeah. get it like and especially the way bc is built playing the quad game game or playing the horse game or playing the jet boat game and having some type of wall tent and, and and playing more of like a base camp 
day hunt style, I think it's just, not only is it more successful, I think it's just smarter given the terrain and given the weather at that particular time of year. Yeah. And so, our, yeah, I'd, I'd say, you know, that's where our sweet spot has kind of that's landed. Yeah. That's our, our game now. Right? We, <laughs> we, don't, we don't do those really low odd, really extreme hikes. Now we saw a really big bull or we weren't having a lot of action. Absolutely. But I mean, we had a five point three days in a row in the same basin. And I mean, it was over 3000 vertical and, you know, there was no good access and it was wide open where they were. So it was like, you know, with a bow, this would be tough. And there's nine cows with one five point. Right. Yeah. Did you and guys post that on Instagram? Was that the was that the ones like way up? Yeah, way up, yeah. yeah. Like in sheep country, right? Yeah. Like sure. And we we do that hike. We've done that hike, and yeah. and you know, nine times out of ten, you're not killing that bull. So it's not like you shouldn't go after it because you will kill that bull one out of ten times. But we're further off pushing. You know, still good con- elk country that's easier accessible. Working the easy elk trails, doing like a one thousand for that big hike. We're going to do it together too. Right. So. Yeah. You don't want to kill that by yourself and have to deal with it. So you're taking yeah. a, a, at least two guys with you. And, and so now two people are tied up in this one play and, you know, thermals hit and, and send some air up to them. They're gone. And the whole hike was worthless. And that can happen in five minutes of unexpected swirls and your winds blows them out. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can't control all that every time. Right. But our sweet spot now is, you know, lap of luxury, sleep in a trailer, sleep in a cot, sleep on something comfortable, eat big meals, you know, relax midday when there's, when it's too hot and nothing's going on and, and, you know, you can back out easy enough, but put a lot of miles on in those morning and evening hunts. And if you're in a good area that, you know, kind of sets you up at like kind of elky elevation where you're on trails, you're on fresh sign, just work it, right. You can work that midday and thermals are hopefully in your favor and, you know, do maybe a little less calling, but stay above where the elk might be bedded, right? They're in the thicker stuff, maybe a little bit below you. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll do one of those every couple of days where we stay out all day, but generally work the morning really hard, come back, relax, right? Catch a nap every few days when you're when you're back at camp, yep. but recharge, yep. dry out, fresh, fresh out the socks, all that. And then, you know, we put on more miles that way for sure, because you do a thousand plus every morning and a thousand plus every evening. And sometimes it's 2000 feet and you're doing that up and down. And, you know, you're zigzagging all the way because it's never linear straight up the mountain. It's, yeah. you know, up and down across the valley, across another valley. So cover as much country as you can find an active bull, work it. If the wind's good, work it to death. If the wind's bad and, and things are getting really wonky, then, you know, that's a play for, for again, that night or the next morning. Right. So, and I want to be cognizant of, of, of time here. So let's, let's talk about one more issue. And then we got some other questions that I want to dive into. Let's talk calling. Because I think there's like, um, there's a pretty prominent theory about out calling that like most of the bigger guys kind of, kind of embrace. So like, where are you guys at with the whole location followed up by a challenge bugle? Do you guys bring in, um, cow sounds? Like what's your, what do you find works for, for you and what kind of calls like, um, are you are you guys using are you on are you on mouth reads bite and blows like what you know what what kind of stuff are you having success with so ryan ryan mastered the, the original thing which was just call once get a bowl going and just keep closing the gap and keep calling and keep closing the gap and keep calling and keep closing the gap keep calling and those are harder setups because the bull is standoffish by the time you get in there yeah but you know in those days ryan would just imitate the bull and yeah eventually piss it off enough and, and just, you know, we, we might be there for 15, 20, 30 minutes and <laughs> going there. But, you know, if you're in that steep country, a lot of time you're pushing that bowl up and, and 
So ideally, we do follow some of those methodologies of, you know, locate one, that's just one part of it, and you don't have to do anything more than that. And now it's like, close the gap, do a setup and all that and try to get the bull in. Yeah, it just depends on the situation. Like Jordan and I use completely different calls and Jordan's bugle has a higher percentage of getting a bugle back for sure. Like there's no arguing that. Where mine seems to just tweak a bull, like the odd bull, like just, it, he loses his mind from my squealy bugle for some reason. And that's why I can do that, like challenge him because he's already coming in. Right, right. Build right. a lot of elk with my bugle with him just coming right in. Jordan's yeah. first bull, big six point crash right through. It would have been the perfect bow bull bull but yeah we didn't have both fortunately it was yeah. just it was rifle season and, yeah. and that's what yeah. it was but yeah but no and then in terms of cow calls like i use a lot of cow calls to be honest like uh sometimes i'll use a, a bugle to get a, a response and then i'll try to hike in quietly to him and then start with cow calls and then I'll, my bugle will essentially be my last resort at that point unless yeah. he's fired up yeah i mean bugling right now right? i think that's we're kind of more or less on the same page for that one like yeah. to me We'll still use bugles because you can just ring a bell, you know, a lot further than you can, you know, get the cow call to, to get him to answer. Yeah. Um, so I typically do like a couple of cow calls, nothing, just get some close, big bugle, nothing, big bugle again. Yeah. Um, and then just work, you know, cover more ground, do it all over again. If we get a call. If you get the, a call with the cow call, you, we just stay, stay with, with it. it. Yeah. Until, okay. until he's not showing interest in it. Yeah. Okay. Like a, a nice full Jordan call in for me was all cow calls. We knew he was there. Instantly lit up from the cow call, headed towards him. Another cow call, he was like, you know, half as close. So he was like moving in, he moving in. We never ever used a bugle until like we were, he circled below us and Jordan wanted to stop when he just ripped a challenge bugle right out. Yeah, no, so the way I look at it is it's kind of like yeah. having a card in your back pocket. If you haven't had the bugle, yeah. it's a really nice little card to play. It gets you out a lot of shit sometimes and can kind of be that last Confusing. minute scramble where that's the deal between getting a shot or the bull's already going the wrong direction. And that's exactly what happened. Like he circled us. He was kind of starting to head out of the country. And then all of a sudden Jordan ripped the big bugle. He came like running back and then it was like a 20 yard shot. Yeah. So we actually got the ID on him as he was trying to truck off and we thought he was below us and he'd circled the other way and we kind of busted him. And then I was just, you know, Hail Mary. You're not going to lose anything at that point anyways. 100%, right? And and got the, we'd already got the ideas. He's trucking away. I screamed at him. And then the bull just kind of was like, you know, it, like he went almost bonkers. It's like that typical like eyes rolled back. Like he yeah. didn't know what to do. And so he's like turned around, kind of walking towards us. Yeah. And, and Ryan was already I was yeah. already ready to go and got 20 yards sure. away at that point. Yeah. But yeah, so, love- so sorry. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the plan. If you can keep a bugle out of it, great. But I mean, you know, I'll try a couple of times in the way closing in to see if cow calls will keep them going. And if they're not, I eventually ditch them because if the bugle's the only thing that he keeps responding to, it's bugle bugle right that's 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 the way that one's going to roll out for you right Uh, but yeah i I think the other technique is you know locate and then set up very tough to do in bc again off that acoustics like guess 400 yards in really thick foliage right like guess where that bull is good luck and when me and ryan went on that first bull of our bow hunt you know i think we i I said at the end of it i think i bugled 40 times in that bull i got eight calls back Right. And we had to close over and, two kilometers. And, right? and five of them were within like a hundred yards. Like when he was actually coming in. Yeah. So we spent an hour and a half to two hours trying to pinpoint where this bull was. Yeah. And it was midday. We were above him and we assumed he was bedded. And that's probably what happened, right? We ended up just basically going in on his bed, got close enough and flying turned around. But we did that location, tried to pinpoint, decided, hey, that's probably him right in there. Let's just go drop through this slide right here and we'll just go straight at him. And, you know, ideally we would have snuck all the way in, but you couldn't, 
you're in so much thick stuff, you're going to blow them out. And to me, it's not worth blowing them out just to get that perfect setup where they can hear you. But, and then, and then, you know, kind of trigger, trigger a calling sequence, you know, once you're 50 or 80 or 90 yards away, we're normally still calling a lot of time just to kind of like, okay, reset. Okay. He's there. And then, yeah. Okay. Maybe now I can go silent and close that last 50 or hundred yards and then really fire them up. But you know, it's a bit of both. Sometimes you call the whole way in other times you call and kind of locate and tell, and then close the gap and do a setup on them. Right. See, and I think this is yet again, this is the theme of this for me and I'm learning tons, but I also think because of the density of the vegetation and there's two things that are going on. One in, in, in more open areas, it's way easier to like pinpoint, go silent, yes. sneak in. Cause what yeah, people sure. need to understand about a challenge bugle is a challenge bugle only works when you're close enough for that bull to feel threatened. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're too far away, that bull's just going to keep pace with you and you're going to yeah. keep calling yeah. and he's going to keep moving. Yeah. And I'm almost wondering it too, because the density of vegetation, if that proximity of their bedroom is not just a little bit smaller, like I would argue in a place like New Mexico, I think if you're inside 150, you're probably going to feel threatened because there's not a whole lot of, of yeah. cover between you and him. So you're probably yeah. going to get to fire him up. I bet you in BC, it's closer to 50 or 75. Uh, you've got to make a, a lot of noise and go through yeah. a lot of garbage when you're still back out at 150. I kind of think he probably doesn't care nearly as much about you until you really got, and I don't know how you're going to get in there silent off of one location. That's, and that's so I think thing, that's right? the challenge with that kind of yeah. classic location yeah. challenge set up. So well, I think those, yeah. And the way I put it is I think those are great techniques. Those are great approaches, but that goes out the window because terrain takes over. And so mm -hmm. I say yeah. terrain trumps, any kind of, you know, knowledge over the line south of the south of us that would say, you know, do this, do that. It's like terrain's going to trump that. And that was clear on, we've killed so many bulls like that where nothing, nothing. And then you're right there and all of a sudden, okay, now it's on. Right. And that's, that's the game changer is that last bit of proximity and the, and the fix up. And I think you're right though. Like I, I view it as like, they want to see an elk or smell an elk. They can hear an elk and they know that, but they just want to confirm one other thing, see or smell. And when they can see a long ways, they want to go take a look. So if they can see hundred yards at a time and you're in open country down south. It's like, yeah, they can go take a 50 yard walk and have a look. And then your setup yeah. works out perfectly because your shooter's 50 yards in front of you. But in BC, they can't see, right? So they're not going to stand up and come running towards you in that thick, nasty stuff. They're going to wait till you're right there where they know they can take a couple steps and see you across this gully or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't think most stuff. people understand how important that visual confirmation is for an elk. Like that's yeah. everything to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we've had cows or, or bulls just bulls that just disappear if you're not aggressive enough and you're too far away and they step out and they step around a corner on a road that you're calling on and they don't see an elk yeah they're uninterested okay i heard an elk i didn't see one no, so oh, they just wander around yeah. and they might not have made you or smelled you or anything like that they just decide well no elk there this is messed up right so they walk away and I, we had that with bow i tried to do like a, a setup and i was like you know what We've had a lot of bulls in close already and haven't had any shots. I was like, let's use a landing in this region cut and see if we can get the bull to come in. He's really low. He seems really fired up, you know, fired up off some cow calls. I was like, this bull might come right in. And so I get a shooter set up with the bow. I back out, try to work the wind, do a call. The bull walks out broadside in the clear cut, looks 200 yards down, doesn't see an elk, walks back in the slide. And then we chase that bull and, and never gave us another chance. So he, you know, our right play there was close that gap right away, which, you know, has its challenges too. Cause you, sometimes you close that gap too quick and, and they're, they don't even call back. They just wait and watch for you. And yeah. all of a sudden you like, look, and there's an elk like 30 yards right in front of you, just staring <laughs> at you. You're like, yeah. Oh, so there's, there's lots of gambling in BC, right? There's a lot of like, what it could have should is, and you're just not going to kill every elk and you're just, 
you know, got to put yourself in those situations and one after another, you eventually get one that, you know, pays off and fills the freezer. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's, that's it. it is the, the persistent, like recognizing you guys have put in 15, 16 years, kind of built up several different areas where you had like local knowledge, like that's what it takes to be successful in BC, man. Like it, 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 you know, and I've done a lot of, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of failure in BC and I've had a couple of good successes in BC. And it's like just going to an area cold is a very hard thing to do in British Columbia for, for any animal here. Like it's just people, I don't know where people get this. Like, don't get me wrong. I think we live in one of the best places in the world for hunting with our opportunity, the number of species you can go after, but like our, our densities of, of populations are particularly low compared to a lot of other places. And our terrain is very difficult and, and rocking up to a place completely cold is a very low success proposition yeah. in, in British Columbia. And I think it's that, that repeating, committing to an area, being willing to have a couple of years of failure until you figure out like what's going to work in that particular area, I think is a big takeaway for, for me, for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, uh, another thing is, you know, follow sign and follow trails. Like we used to push a lot of bush of like, really arduous and sometimes you break into elk country but like you can hunt a lot more country if you just follow trails and you might want to go that way but like the trail goes that way it's like take that one and there might be another way to get to that location you want to get to but you can cover a lot of ground and you stay on elk trails is super helpful right because it's just like you get in a foreign area and you just think i just need to get into this little basin or this little gully it looked really elky and you just push you know and i did another one of those this trip and i just pushed you know probably 2000 feet vertical. I was probably six hours of hiking, maybe eight by the time we were back. And, you know, we weren't on a fresh elk track the whole time. And I just kept thinking we we're going to break through to the, the mother load. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know what, and, 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 but what you learned, I mean, that's a valley we know, but what you learned was like, you know what, the elk actually don't go higher than this in the mountain. They stay in this little area here and this stuff just doesn't get used. Right. It's, it's not their, their hiding hole. Right. So it doesn't always help just pushing a ton of, ton of bush, but understand the elevation they're at, understanding, you know, the, the areas that they're frequently at and they're not in the same areas every year, but sometimes some areas they're always there. So you can kind of count on that, but definitely a couple of years in the same area builds a lot more kind of competency, right. And, and able to deliver because you just can hit those, those primo spots over and over and find one that's producing elk that year or has active, you know, herd intervals in it. Those years too, that you don't have success, you always have well, not always, but you usually or typically have a close call or a close encounter where you look right. back and go, okay, I learned something from that. Like I can yeah. take this from that and be like, what made me successful that day? And then you can apply that to another place in the area. And if you start to get places that are having the same results per se, like I'm getting close to an elk, I'm getting a bugle, you start to learn just from being in the moment, being there, right? Like, and you start to get, gather information off that. And if you don't start getting that, then maybe it's time to move your spot. Maybe you got to move to something different, right? Like just really be in tune with what's happening around you and how the day went and just try to put that in other areas and see if you can get results from it. Yeah. I know. I look at it for the people that don't have success. Like we haven't had success for many years, but we always would have close encounters. We'd always have, Oh, if I just did this, we would have got elk. And then you apply that next. And yeah. Sometimes yeah. I, mean, success, I, right? I think we maybe touched on like persistence in like the first in the lower population areas, like find some sign or get out of Eagle. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that was the only, you know, thread you're holding on to. And we, we went back, you know, three, four, five times, six times into the same basin over and over and over. And then finally we killed a six point in there. It was just like, that was what we had. And we just kept working it. And yes, we kept looking for somewhere else and then nothing, we go back in. 
you know, try, 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 go back in, right? And so you're looking for other options, but then just, you know, persisting in that one area because, you know, if elk do a little loop and they do a lap and they funnel back in, it's like, or they just, you know, sometimes it's just like there's elk there, but there's no hot cows yeah. and they don't want to bugle, right? And it's just like, then yeah. one hot cow walks to that valley and there's three bulls bugling or two bulls bugling the very next time you go in there, right? That's and, a great insight, man. That's the yeah. other thing. Just because you don't hear them doesn't mean they're yeah, so, there. And then the same breath. But if they won't talk to you, sometimes it's not worth playing them either. Don't, you know, yeah, so it's like, So we we don't belabor a, a place that isn't bugling, but we'll right. check back in on it if there's not a better play. Yeah. So that's that's one of those things, right? The, they'll, they'll fire up when a hot cow comes in, but it's like, you know, we're not going to keep going there if they're not bugling the first time to say they're right. there. That's the only thing to do to keep going, you know, but we will check back in. If, if two days go by, we've got no other plays. Well, there was lots of sign. Let's go back in there and, you know, maybe something's turned up and maybe a cow's come in or maybe a... You know some more bulls have fired up the the rest of the bulls or whatever right mm -hmm. okay so we could talk elk hunting all, all night and i'm hoping sure. we get back <laughs> on because we haven't even touched on mule deer and we're not we're, we're not gonna um talk to me about the bc backcountry instagram channel because i think you guys do that with a lot of integrity compared to like some of the kind of garbage that's that's floating around these days so like how did that how did that come about and is that intentional like did you guys have like, listen, this is how we want to do this. Or is it more just like a natural evolution of that's just how you guys express yourself. And you've, you've recognized that it's this thing and we do it over here and that's just what it's going to be. Yeah. I think it's, it's more of that. It's more, it's natural. Like we want, we like our footage to be raw. We like when Jordan's hiking up the thing and you can tell it's Jordan's hunt and you can tell it's mine. We get to share our stories, you know, have a little banter with one another. Like we want to be the alpha male in camp. And, <laughs> and this and that. We like to share and we get a lot of good positive feedback from it. Yeah. A lot yeah. of like people being like, oh, this is very authentic and they really like what we've put out. So we've kind of just tended to stay with that. And yeah. And, and I'd say like our roots literally when we started this was um, I was seeing what was going on in Instagram and over the line. And I was like, Oh my God, this is insane. Look at all this content of stuff. And right. we had before a, content was a word, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we had a, we had a plethora of content though from just previous hunts. We yeah. never had an Instagram. Right. Yeah. So we're like, right. but I mean, our, our thing was like, you know, it was just like, man, I just, I love this stuff, but it's just not BC. Mm -hmm. And it just like, I would love to see guys in BC doing this. And I was like, and There's you no looked on Instagram, there. there was nothing, right? Like, yeah. you know, it was hunting BC, right? And that was where you went. And, you know, it was a great place to read stories, a great place to see a couple of good animals and, and all that. But like Instagram was just, you know, obviously this ultimate, you know, avenue to be able to share way more stories, way more content and kind of focusing on what you wanted to see, right? And mm -hmm. um, it kind of was a, an interesting platform. So when we started it, we basically was like, man, there's so much happening over the line. There's hardly anything happening here let's just share stories let's just share Try to reach super, out to that bc super raw yeah. stuff that's relative to us that we would want to see so yeah. i put out and ryan puts out and we kind of tell stories that we would want to read about adventures that we want to do in places that we would want to go mm -hmm. um and we keep it that way right as we, we always thought behind the scenes you know at some point if we could market this and turn it into something that'd be great but that wasn't the reason to do it um i think a lot of people want to be famous and have you know just be that that fame thing and and it's definitely the furthest from i mean really honestly as, as, as if everyone wants that a little bit but it's one of those things like i i've got you know I, I like hunting i'd rather hunt more than than just have fame or have a following and so i think you know we're not hung up on you know let's focus on this this is everything to us and we got to build more and we got to do this and that we just we wanted to build a following we wanted to share stories we wanted to you know 
at the end of the day, inspire if we can, but, you know, connect with people. And, you know, that's what it's done for us. Is, you it's know, made a lot of connections. I've, I've, you know, how many guys I've talked talk shop with about, you know, deer hunting and, and big bucks and stuff. And it's like, you know, never make that connection without social media, never make that without Instagram and, and sharing a story yourself and somebody reaching out. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's been super cool to, to, to do that for sure. But, you know, I scrolled back and we were talking about trail cams in 2017. Yeah, you had posted something, and I sent you a message about, oh, where are you guys at? And I had some cams up on Chilliwack, yeah. and we just, I, I, I concur, man. The amount of connections, I. Well, I that's made, what we're talking about. Like, we have thousands of them, right? Yeah, just people reaching out, yeah, being like, yeah. we just love the BC content, and then we just chat people up, and they go, oh, we're yeah. going out this weekend. Good luck to you. They say good luck to us, and yeah. we exchange some pictures sometimes at the end, and that's about it. It's yeah. just a good way to reach out to people. Well, and you just, you know, it's just like it's so cool learning from somebody else that's doing it, and they're doing a little different, right? And they've got this technique, they've got this, and you know, well, this guys running a hundred camps, you're like, unreal, right? So, <laughs> so how are you doing that, right? Yeah. What's that all about, right? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of range are you working? What are you doing, right? How do you set them up, right? So, you know, just like sharing knowledge and and. You know, growing that tribal kind of awareness of what's going on and how people are getting it done right and mm-hmm. you know it's actually surprising a lot of people off the ground like they have an account yeah. but they have you know zero pictures up and they'll yeah. like, reach out to us be like this is what i got last year i just like to keep it off and it's like wow the, yeah the amount of content that does like privately get shared with us is, is uh pretty that's just cool actually. right for sure yeah, there's so, some absolute killers in british columbia and i think like yeah. the vast majority of them are nowhere near social media and some of the animals that are going down that never see the light of day and like yeah yeah all these I other mean, people are getting like recognition over these like kind of like you, you know like simply unimpressive kind of animals yeah, and it's like yeah. it's funny that yeah there's this like homegrown attitude for most of the like especially the old timers but even the guys like i'm 43 even the guys like my age and a little bit younger that just don't give a shit man but they are absolute yeah. killers Oh, yeah. People reach out and like a lot of people reach out like, oh, you guys are experts at this. You guys are. I'm like, if you only knew the people we talked to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, those are the real, those those are the real experts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, we're having some success. We're figuring a lot of stuff out, and we're we're, we're having a lot of fun doing yeah. it, right? But I mean, holy crap, there's some guys out there that just are on Pushing another, another level, year, right? Yeah, yeah, like sending yeah. us every year like mature, big, big bulls, and we're like, oh, good for you, yeah, man. While the dad of my buddy who I just went sheep hunting with, I think he has 13 stone. Right. Yeah. Like the guy doesn't like they're laying in the shed. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the like doesn't even I don't want to say he doesn't give a shit. He respects the animals that he's taking, yeah. but it's I just agree. like that's not what it's about for him. Like he has yeah. they're not hung up, they're not mounted, they're not like nothing, yes. man. Like it's yeah. just he wanted the experience and he went out and he did it, and it's like very important, but it's like talk to the mountains, took something home. It's yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, I don't want to keep you guys forever. I know you got a big hunt. Are you are you cool with um Let's hit up some Instagram questions to close out. For sure. Sounds yeah, good. absolutely. Okay. And we'll keep them. I'll, 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 we'll try and kind of keep them, um, keep them um, brief. All right. Okay. I'm going to leave out the mule deer ones. Cause secretly I'm going to get you guys to come back on and talk mule deer. We'll do that maybe after happy. mule deer season when hopefully Absolutely. we both have some good mule deer s- stories to, yeah. to share and we can talk mule deer hunting strategies. So, for anybody who asks mule deer questions, I'll, I'll save them and we'll get them into we'll get into them with the boys um, later on in the season. Jordan, and this is an, I actually want your opinion on this term, and I want you to answer this question. Um, would you consider yourself a trophy hunter? Yeah, so I mean, defining trophies a, a big right? thing, right? Um, so the way I would say that is like if it comes to mule deer, for sure, but 
how I would describe why is I can afford to put enough time in the woods. I want to experience something cool. I want to push the limits. Um, and I know that, you know, killing a young deer isn't going to do that for me. And to be, you know, the way I relate it in, in the sports world is like, you know, if you could go play against, you know, six-year-olds on the soccer field, would that be fun? And it's like, no, you're, you're so much bigger, so much stronger, so much tougher. So I kind of relate that in the woods. If you can go to these places and you have the research done and you can push the amount of days in the woods to, you know, to wait out for seeing a bigger deer and, and for track down a, an older class animal um, with good genetics would be a, a bonus, obviously, right? Um, then absolutely. I think it just riches in the experience. And, you know, at the end of the day, older, mature animal, there's 100% more meat. So that's always a bonus, but um, definitely okay going home without the meat. If I've got meat in the freezer, I get a little more trigger happy if there's no meat in the freezer, but generally, you know, you get an elk or so in the, in the fridge between a few of us, you know, I'm happy to go home without punching a tag, um, you know, go a couple of years and I start to get pretty itchy and, and wanting to, to connect with something bigger. But yeah, I would say, you know, call it trophy, call it whatever you want to, like, do I, am I willing to wait and put in more days and hike right to the end of the season to kill an older, bigger deer? hundred percent. Is I it love purely, it, I love it. Yeah. Purely score related. No, yeah. like definitely yeah. not. Score is cool. It's a really good way to honor the animal and classify the animal. But like, I mean, old deer, old deer, man. That's I'm just, on this push, man. I want to reclaim that word. I'm sick of, I'm sick of giving shit up to like the anti hunters because yeah. it's like, try yeah. not to. So I'm okay. I, like I'm okay with the word trophy, right? It's just, it's just yeah. Anyhow, but you, you got it. You got to qualify it. it these days. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. like, no, sure. I don't care how many inches are on my wall. I always, I always like to say, like, I've, uh, I've gotten to a point where I want to pit myself against the oldest, wiliest, you know, yeah. hardest to kill animal, because that's who I want to battle. And I yeah. don't want to, uh, the six-year-old on this, on the soccer field. And if that, and yes, I want a piece of memorabilia from that because it was yeah. a battle well fought and I want to respect him. I want to respect me and the effort I put in and it, Everything else in our life, we call that a trophy. You know, you come home yep. from a from a from yeah, a. Yeah, I don't think there's any shame in it. The other day, right? It's just, it just, yep. you know, it's just how people like to use it and, and yes. classify a certain type of hunting as that is is just not necessarily respectful of what it can be or, or is for a lot of people, right? Hundred, hundred, hundred percent, love it. Okay, next up is Ryan. Who is a better elk hunter in the most raw sense, you or Jordan? <laughs> oh yeah, let's go. <laughs> Is this still one of Jordan's bodies he put them up there? <laughs> His Instagram handle is Burka8. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. I knew it might have been someone like Burke. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Defining raw so many different ways. I don't know. I think we both, like we've touched on, we both have our battles that we've won that Jordan can do that I can, that I can do that Jordan can't. So I'm just going to keep it at that for now. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll Fair enough. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. How do you guys identify areas that like several times in the podcast, you talked about, okay, we had an area and for whatever reason, we didn't really like that area. How do you go identify a different area that you want to go check out? Is it, is it e-scouting? Like what's your process for that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm notorious for it. I don't have as much time nowadays as I used to. I, I could, I could just stare at Google Earth for hours and get excited about this and i think that's more the adventure in you that <laughs> says oh i need to hike in there i need to check that all right but we do a lot of e-scouting um we you know we tend to have our beliefs that are like you know elk like a lot of wet areas elk like 
like um, North Slopes. You know, a lot of North Slopes in BC that, that you know, yeah. do have some open country close to it where they can migrate back and forth. So we definitely do a lot of East scouting. Um, you know, we look at harvest stats, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do that kind of big picture, small picture stuff. We kind of look at, look at the numbers where stuff's getting harvested, where the population seem bigger. And there's lots of stuff, you know, from the biologists, if you want to dig deep and look and, you know, I've, I've researched hunts that are low population and biologists have just told me, I've called them and say, you hey, know, what about this? And biologists have been like, yeah, you know, good luck in there. Like, like, <laughs> one elk gets killed in there every 20 years. So don't bother. Right. And you're like, okay. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe that's the wrong play, maybe something a little higher population than that, but um, you know, you, you can go down those avenues. I've done a bunch, but a bit of calling to biologists. We've done a bit of research on harvest stats and then you do the e-scouting and boots on the ground and, yeah. you know, just bullshitting with people where they see elk, where they see deer, where, you know, you, you, um, you know, come across it yourself and you say that's worth poking around and taking a look. Right. Even yeah. new little areas within your area. So like, we might go way more north or east and we might just turn around, like we said, midday and all of a sudden there's a herd of elk on a mountain we've never hunted before. Yeah. As soon as you see a herd, it's like, there's some intel right there. You go and sure enough, it's a new area that's worth Yeah, I mean, boots, boots, boots on the ground and glasses on the on the slopes, right? I mean, glasses always up. Like, I think a lot of people will just hike around and they get tired and it's hard to keep focused. But I mean, you're grabbing a bit of water, grabbing something to eat, binoculars up, man. It, yeah. Our binoculars do not stop scanning because they're just looking for the next spot. They're going to find some animals, right? What do you guys like for binos? And again, I'm curious. I'm, I'd be also curious about like brand and whatnot, but also like magnification because if you're in the timber, but then you're also doing kind of distance glassing, that's a kind of a, that's a tricky problem to solve. It is. Yeah. And we're, we're both rocking Vortex razors. Yeah. Um, I've got like, 42. I have got like first or second gen and Ryan's probably about third or fourth gen. So his, his are actually nicer than mine and you can tell the difference in the new ones. Um, mine are fantastic, but I think whatever first gen was, it's probably 12 years old, 13, 14 years old. I don't know what it is yeah, now. Mine's probably five or six. And they both 10 by 42. Yeah. You still okay, want yeah. that magnification. So if you do see an elk, you like further away, you can be like, oh, there's a bull there. Yeah. a little bit of time right or yeah i think the payoff's worth it to have like a lower magnification and tight you don't really need your glasses in that tight yeah you're you and and you're you know the amount of times you've glassed now like when you bring rockers up they're looking at what you're looking at right? yeah you're not you know you're not worried about being too zoomed you're like oh, I, I can't see it's like yeah. binoculars up you're looking at what you're looking at right if you're bringing so, binoculars up it's you know 100 meters yeah further for the most part so you can get to see um and the, the one thing is like we don't identify a lot of animals that we get in on like when it's elk you know if you see two or three it's like it just right away you know if you see a huge one beside a smaller one you're like okay that that's probably a bull just watching that cow and you know my biggest bull to date was that situation we i was hiking after an active elk and like literally we just kept spotting for like an hour and like one elk just fed nonstop in the slide and the other one just sat there and stared at it like it looked like a decoy <laughs> way up the mountain i'm like that's just got to be a big bull watching and sure enough it was a hot cow with a single bull and there was no other elk in the area and you know we ended up killing that bull but it's just like had me not watch that thing from six k's away through through 10 by 42s and just said that one's bigger it's got to be a bull you know that's that's a good lead you know mm-hmm. chase that lead down and maybe it pans out maybe it doesn't but you know it's a, definitely a good one if there's if there's something obvious like that right so a lot of the time we're not making six points on elk no. before we go in you get the odd shine rare, in the anchor right? with the binoculars, but like still nice to have that magnification across that big valley to at least um, i'm, I'm a big butterfly in. effect guy when it comes to elk hunting like chase every lead and don't know what it turns into we almost right. killed the bull last year the year before um that we spotted elk middle of the day coming back from behind exhausted and you know those elk end up coming on another slope that we spotted them on again and then made a play on them ryan is on that play no sign of elk didn't get a call back we knew it was a six point that case because we got the spotter on it um but from there they spotted a massive bull in a slide you can't glass from anywhere 
Yeah. So I mean, you don't go hike a mountain 3,000 vertical because you want to spot another slide, right? It doesn't make sense, right? But get on that play, keep your glass up. And next thing you know, we're on a full herd of elk the next day. We had, we were calling from above, calling from below, gone on a big six point, couldn't get a good shot and full walked, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, that play only came because of that butterfly effect of going after that one, spotting the next one, and then your next play is, you know, ready to go, right? And elk wouldn't even know we're there. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Let's let's wrap things up. Is there anything anything I didn't ask that you guys want to talk about? Anything you want to throw out there or, or plug or or yeah, I'll leave it up to you guys. Anything you want to close out with or yeah, no plugs from us, right? Um, but uh, I don't know, like happy to do this for sure, man. It's been a yeah. blast and it's kind of cool answering questions and whatnot. Um, I think you know, elk in BC for people, like every six points, you know, a, a trophy, right? So yeah. So like you, like you said, man, these aren't easy elk. So if people are killing, you know, squeaker six, that's, we kill a lot of squeaker sixes. Right. And yeah. so yeah. Uh, to me, man, a six point elk in BC is, is so cool. And if you can get it done, man, that's, that's, you know, don't expect to get that every year. Don't expect to, to smash elk nonstop. Right. We, we put a lot of time in and we're getting a few elk here and there, but you know, it's not a common thing. Right. I, I, and the stats don't show that either. Right. So don't stack up against the, the Southern hunters that can, you know, kill two or three bulls with a few different tags in a few different areas um, and have a good year hunting. I mean, that's not what we're, <laughs> we're up against yeah. here, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. so no, I think that's a great, I think that's a great message to close out on because it's just a comparison that you're, you're never going to win. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, lads. Really appreciate it. Uh, for everybody listening or watching, again, it's BC Backcountry, all one word. You follow them on Instagram. Highly recommend it. Awesome content. Thanks again, lads, for doing this, and thanks for tuning in.